This is The Braither Point. This is not the end, but it is the end of the beginning. Welcome to the fallen, borderless, drugged, groomed, jabbed, propagandized, catamite, pedophile, pushers and pimps, surveillance states of Nazi America. These are the long, new, dark ages of the Great Reset. We will win, but it will be long in coming. Having forgot history and reliance on creator, we have hard lessons to relearn and remember. The Roman Republic, replaced by corrupt regime, defeated by martyred Christendom, took 300 years to fall. Longer than America has been, but not longer than Turtle Island tribes. Despite their desperation and decimation, in their seventh generation, the tribes are rising again from the seven feet of earth It is the dust of their ancestors. As Toshunke Witko, Crazy Horse Dream, the red race will rise again and be a blessing for a sick world and a lesson for us all. The bitter truth of the trails of tears teaches in the coming new dark ages, just existence is resistance. Revenge is the Lord's. But resistance begets resilience. And in resilience is reconciliation. And in reconciliation is redemption. Retired SOCOM soldier, former DIA intelligence collector, and ex-DEA special agent. Targeted by the deep state whistleblower, now your intelligence officer. Repurposed as chaplain, leader, teacher, and truth teller. New mission, restore our fallen republic. Objective, defeat the deep state. Means, expose fake news. Tools, truth, discernment, and free will. Attention, deep state Dems, rhinos, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and assorted traitors and enemies, foreign and domestic. Your masks won't silence us. Your shutdowns won't stop us. Your riots don't scare us. You're not as organized as the British. You're not as disciplined as the Nazis. You're not as fierce as the Imperial Japanese. And you're not as brutal as ISIS. We beat them all. You're next. Welcome. I'm Jeff Prather, and this is The Prather Point. Welcome, everybody. Sorry about the uh, problems there. Um, have a very special guest uh, today. And I'm going to jump right into that because we've been having a lot of technical difficulties. I will go over some rumble rants and stuff. Maybe I'll, I'll do that later on. Uh, of course, I've been covering the Trump uh, indictment all week and how they, he has actually leaned in and trapped them uh, in the precedent trap. Now, Hunter, Hillary, Pelosi, uh, Obama uh, are all. Uh, indictable and should be indicted immediately, not Pedo Joe, because he's sitting. The president does apply to him. Well, we'll come back to that, but uh, have a very special guest, and I want to jump into that right away. And um, I want to read a quote here uh, from Michelle Malkin. Uh, is um, in a world of phonies and cowards, Steve King is the real deal of integrity and courage. If you want to know what a modern Horatius at the gate looks like. This book vividly paints the portrait for you and hopefully for generations in your wake. And of course, if you don't know, Horatius uh, was the um, uh, Roman citizen uh, uh, warrior who defended the gates of Rome in the fifth century. That's a very famous uh, poem of uh, how better to go than uh, against great odds uh, and defending uh, your country. Uh, and you know, I, I do not have politicians on the show uh, because I have no interest in politicians, and I consider Steve a statesman. And he was actually recommended by Team America, Iowa team leader, who he had just met with and said, this guy's a firebrand. And I've been meaning to have him on because we have other issues, but I want to get into the uh, carbon corruption uh, economy that's happening. But first, I want to welcome you uh, to the Prather Point, uh, Steve. And, and please, I'd like to hear a little bit about your... Uh, background because I'm a whistleblower and fast and furious, and I had the government come after me. Uh, so welcome and thanks for thanks for persevering to get on. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on, Jeff. And uh, it was a bit of a scramble for us, and we're operating off of a cobbled together stuff here. So if there's another time, we'll be getting fine tuned to excellence. Uh, and uh, in any case, um, uh, the, the background a short piece on my background of my life. I grew up in a law enforcement family, and my uh, 
My father was manager of state police radio stations. He drilled me on the Constitution, the Bible, and the rule of law, and the, and the priorities of the biblical values, constitutional values, all consistent with each other, rule of law, built upon the supreme law of the land, our Constitution. Um, I grew up uh, believing that the adults had this figured out, and they understood this framework, this forest, handed down by God, and we needed to, to re- hold it together and later on restore it, repair it, refurbish it. And so I started a construction company in 1975. I had a negative net worth of $5,000, and I convinced a Democrat banker to loan me 100%. And it's a long story from there, but I tell you that so that people don't look, well, there's a guy that got born with a silver spoon in his mouth. That wasn't the case at all. I, I had to dig myself out of a good number of holes along the way, uh, but I got frustrated with what government was doing to me. I began to go talk to them, and I realized they didn't have a moral foundation underneath their decisions, some of them. In fact, it turned out to be many of them. So I ran for the state Senate in 1996 and defeated a 24-year Republican incumbent, and uh, the, the district opened up for a congressional seat six years later. I ran in a four-way primary there, the least likely guy to prevail, and did prevail and served 18 years in Congress. The last, the three, three of the last four elections, I, w- I won with 60% plus or minus without spending even one dime on any advertising of any kind, no door hangers, no anything, because I was serving constituents the way our founding fathers imagined it would be, and they were quite pleased the people who were not pleased were the people like the um, the establishment presidential candidates and their entourage that came into the Iowa First of the Nation caucus and wanted to dictate to us who would be the nominee that gets the bounce out of Iowa. Uh, each cycle that came by, I had more influence on that, those races, and they, their frustration with me grew to a boiling point. People in this state wanted cheap labor to cut meat and milk cows and take care of hogs and do those things. And I'm defending the border. Um, strong voice on pro-life. I, I authored the heartbeat bill in Congress, took it to 174 co-sponsors. Kevin McCarthy killed that bill. He couldn't afford to have me get a win. We had the votes to do it. He couldn't afford to have me get a win because he didn't think he'd be the next Speaker of the House if Steve King is in the House of Representatives. And that probably was true because I was one of about five that pushed John Boehner out for cutting deals with Nancy Pelosi and undercutting our Constitution, our budget. So you get a feel of the frustration on the on the leadership side of this, on, on what they did. Uh, but at the top level, the Republican Party, that includes the governor of the state today, the previous governor, Terry Branstad also, and the state party chairman, and at the top levels at the national level, they decided, we don't like this truth. And so we are going to take him down. And I knew the plot was coming. I just didn't know what the trigger was. That's in my book called Walking Through the Fire. That's fascinating. What I really like about that is if you actually do your job, people respond to that. Uh, And that, I think, is what scared them the most, um, is uh, a paradigm going back to the foundation uh, of the founders of the Constitution. That really scared them because they don't want that at all. Uh, And you showed that. Uh, and so then the, this coalition came after you. And, you know, I, I had that with the DOJ and the attorney general and the DEA coming after me. Uh, so I, that's really um, very insightful and I think reassuring to people. That if we go back to our foundations, uh, we can still uh, retake what I call the fallen republic. Well, and what I would encourage people, this, that I had... Not because I planned it, not because I saw it in advance, but I just developed within me um, a three-legged stool that I could stand on to be an independent voice for we the people. And the first thing is you have to have voters that will support you. And of course, I had that for a long time. And then the second thing you need to have is an independent fundraising network that they can't attack and take out from underneath you. That takes a lot of small donors and a lot of broad support. And the third thing is to have a national media voice. So when leadership tries to attack you, intimidate you, I could just go on, say, Fox News and tell the truth. And it went so far as John Boehner asked Roger Ailes, 
take Steve King off the air and I'll cut you a deal. Um, so, but they went after all three of the legs in that stool and eventually they chopped him out from underneath me to the point where I lost the primary in 2020. And now uh, my wife said she's sorry it had to end the way that it did, but she's glad it's over because I'm home after a quarter of a century. No, I can understand that. So is the, and I love the three-legged stool, uh, so is the answer to start at a lower level, a more grass link, uh, grassroots, a, a precinct level uh, to then build back up? Because that's what I'm always saying is the top level is too compromised. We got to go even, but we got to start even lower and build back up. Is that, would you agree with that? You know, I gave a speech yesterday. They would echo almost the words that you used. Um, I would say just as a caution, we, we have to pay our attention to the presidency and the U.S. House and Senate seats. But. It is um, another, I'll say, another um, attack member of Congress who was, a, it remains a solid and honorable person was Jeff Fortenberry. He was, they took the justice against him too. Uh, but he would say, politics is downstream from the culture. And I believe he's right in most cases. It does work both ways, but we need to rebuild this country. The, the, the culture it reflects, reflects who we are in our families. We have to restore this in our families, in our faith, in our communities, in our churches, in our schools, and, and build this thing up. And I'm, I'm saying good young people need to first have a lot of babies and raise them right. Second thing is be involved at every level of policymaking from the library board, the school board, the county supervisors to the state legislatures, put good people in place and their moral values will echo through the decisions and it'll get easy if we get the right people in place. But we've gotten lazy on our culture and we and I watch things come down. Like for example, um, we watched No Child Left Behind implement the federal government in K through 12. And then they put money in there, which was a huge influencer. And then we have the president of the teachers union at the national level come out with critical race theory. And it flowed down through all the schools in our country. It just seemed like it was overnight, probably took two years. That's how top down hurts us. And we have to have less top down and more, more bottom up. And, we, and there isn't anybody that can't contribute to this. There's always something that they can do with their families, their children, their grandchildren, their friends, their neighbors at their job everywhere. We've got to reflect our values and defend them. Can't be getting lazy because that's what's gotten us to this point. Uh, well, I agree with that totally. Besides loving the three-legged uh, platform, I like the topics, the bullet points that people can work on here, uh, and in particular that Western civilization is a superior civilization. And uh, I've had a guest on who's a Green Beret, uh, retired Green Beret intelligence officer, and he says that we're headed towards a Bronze Age because they are collapsing this. I just had a special called Calculating the Coming Collapse, and it is going to collapse in my view but we can um, rescue civilization just like we can rescue and restore our republic. But I'd just like you to comment on that if you would. Well, that's a, that's a topic that I, I really will have look into us. I would say this, um, yes, we can rescue our civilization. We are on the, on the verge of free fall right now. And we have people that just have despair that say, well, there's nothing we can do. It's out of our control. Uh, the powers have already gotten over the top on us. And, and all we can do is take care of our little valley wick here. I, I don't agree with that. I mean, take care of that, as I said. But um, I want to give an example that, that um, really inspires me. And people will remember, I think, that about 410 A.D., the Visigoths sacked Rome, and that was the beginning of the Dark Ages. We went through centuries of Dark Ages. So I use that to frame this. Then I've twice, maybe three times, been to the Cathedral of the Dome in Cologne, Germany, and listened to the tour guides, which know supposedly the most about that. And so here's, here's something, as, as I've committed it to memory. They built a cathedral there on the banks of the Rhine in Cologne, Germany in 332 AD. That was almost a century before Rome collapsed and the Dark Ages began. They went to church there through the, through the centuries. And when they got up to about 1050 AD, the architects drew up a plan to turn that into a beautiful Gothic cathedral. And they had been raising money. They continued to raise money and they started construction on the cathedral. And at about 1250 AD, they stopped building because they ran out of money. Well, but one thing they continued was their fundraising drive. 
And about the beginning of the 19th century, they decided they had enough money to, middle of the 19th century, I guess would be, to they had enough money to start the construction on the cathedral again. They commenced building that cathedral and completed it in 1888. Now think of this. They had not only did they fall short on enough money to build the beautiful Gothic Gothic cathedral at 1200 in some year, but for 600 years they raised money to finish that project, and it's there now as a monument to the continuation of Western civilization itself. Which the foundation of Western civilization is everywhere where the footprint of Jesus Christ lays the foundation for the for the civilization. That's all the Western Hemisphere, certainly all the Western Europe and more. But that cathedral standing there. Uh, it just washed over me when I thought about the continuation of their dedication. We can have a dip in our civilization and we can get it back again. And that, and Western civilization is, as we both said, a superior civilization. We don't have anything to apologize for. What we need is a na an international organization that's dedicated to restore Western civilization for the world. And I've been working on plans to do that when they decided to cut my legs out from underneath me. We'll see if that ever comes about, Jeff. Well, I, that is brilliant and I would agree with that. Um, and as I said at the beginning, in my opening, uh, it took, I, also, I often talk about generations of war as a veteran, as an intelligence officer, and um, where fourth generation resistance movements take decades or centuries and early revolutionary Christianity took 300 years to outlove uh, the Roman Empire that they could not outfight. But that was clearly the strategy. And I think you just illustrated that uh, beautifully uh, with the cathedral. I think that makes total sense. I, I think we're in total uh, agreement. And I like the I like the dip remark that it's a dip. Although from, from my from my point of view, dip means die in place missions, but sometimes you know those are required. <laughs> martyrs make history. Um, heroes define it, but martyrs make history, and that's going to be very important today. But um, it's just so refreshing to talk to a real statesman uh, as opposed to all the the pedo pimping pusher politicians that I see on the mainstream legacy psyop news all the time. Uh, so this is very refreshing for me. Um, and of course, it's Pesach, so it's Passover. So that's a great time to be yeah. uh, doing this. But I guess I'd like to move on to, and I've you know put your book up there, and you can go to stevekingcom get, get that book. And I think uh, it's really important to, um, oh, there you go. And I'll put it there, back up I, there. There it is. I don't know if you're there. Okay, you uh, can see me, but there's my book. Walking through the fire. And uh, yeah. there's the endorsement. Yeah. She is a fantastic lady, Michelle Malkin, and a great, great friend. There you go. Um, found it on stevekeng.com. Yeah. And I, and, and by the way, I say to people, if you order my book on stevekeng.com, um, that comes out of my little warehouse here, and I will, I will personally autograph it and ship it to you. And and so I've got I've got just a few hundred books left in my inventory. And of course, Amazon's got a big inventory. But I'm always happy if we bypass Jeff Bezos's cash machine. Yes, very true, very true. I do the same thing with my books. Um, so I'd like to now move on to. Um, you can't see them, but they're behind my little uh, past <laughs> my over uh, resurrection tomb. But uh, uh, I want to move on to uh, what my Team America. Uh, Iowa leader was so excited. He was just so excited and advocated for you and said you were uh, so approachable and so enthusiastic and you spent so much time. Uh, and I've been meaning to get to this issue. This is something that's been on. So Team America is my organization, all 50 states. Uh, it's just Americans relying on God and each other, just like we stopped relying on corrupt government in Britain. We, stopped, we should stop relying on government, corrupt government in D.C., uh, and you're you're working with with Steve on that, the other Steve. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted you to lay out and unpack this corrupt uh, carbon uh, scheme that's coming in as well to take over farmlands and and eminent domain and all of that. So I will shut up and let you have the floor. <laughs> Well, thank you. And first, I'll frame what they're doing here, and then I'll take this back to Davos so we understand the genesis of it. Um, but um, we started hearing about this carbon capture pipeline maybe a little over a year ago, a year and a half ago, something like that. And um, in this state, we have 
two um, large investors, each one running a separate pipeline. But in Iowa, there are 47 ethanol plants. And out of ethanol, there's there's um, the corn is made, a bushel of corn comes of three different components. It's not going to get that technical, I promise. Is, is there, there is protein, there's starch, and then there's CO2 as a byproduct. Well, the, the starch goes to ethanol to burn in our cars, and the protein goes back into animal feed, but the CO2 has been released into the atmosphere as more or less a waste product. And now with President, um, President Biden's um, Inflation Reduction Act, air quotes for that particular remark, then they have billions of dollars that are appropriated to pay to sequester carbon, which sequester CO2. And these two pipeline companies looked at these ethanol plants, 47 of them in Iowa, and there's uh, at least four other states that are involved that have ethanol plants too. And they want to build a pipeline to each one of those ethanol plants and capture that CO2 that comes out of the exhaust pipe at 98% pure. It is the mother load of pure CO2, probably anywhere in the world, captured all into 2,000 miles of pipeline pump it up to North Dakota and into the ground more than a mile below the ground where it supposedly mixes with salt water and turns into some kind of a some kind of a sandstone and stays there forever. Well, we need CO2 to grow corn, and uh, but it also has another value. It can, it can be converted into other fuels such as such as methanol. And but these guys have it figured out that they can capture not just the CO2, but the carbon credits that are set up in the Inflation Reduction Act. And this is AOC's cross-wired brain spark is what it is, but it doesn't come from her. She is just a parrot uh, mouthing those particular words. When I look at what it does for for the subsidy coming into Iowa alone, a typical 100 million gallon ethanol plant, these credits convert into $128 million per plant per year. Multiplying that times 47 plants in Iowa comes to about $6 billion of subsidy coming into the state of Iowa, and then double that at least for the other states that are part of this. And what do we get out of it? Of course, nothing. There's no measurable way to determine any kind of a return off of our investment. But put that money out in front of some um, vulture capitalists and they're going to grab onto that even if they were people pushing back against the global warming theory in the past. That's true of Summit, uh, the Summit Ag Services, who's building one of the pipelines, Bruce Rastetter as their CEO. It's not true of Larry Fink, the other CEO. Uh, he is CEO of BlackRock. Now, that ought to ring everybody's bell when I say CEO of BlackRock. They launched this Navigators Pipeline plan, but it's BlackRock money in behind it and whatever investors they brought together. And so take take Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock, which controls well over a trillion dollars in investments, and, and, and take a look at Davos, Switzerland. And you've got the World Economic Forum, uh, Klaus Schwab, the, the, the founder and leader of that, George Soros sitting right at his side, elbow to elbow with Klaus Schwab and George Soros is Larry Fink in the elite board of the the World Economic Forum. And so they've actually been cooking this up at the WEF for nearly 20 years. I can find records back as far as 2007 to set, set up the carbon the carbon exchange markets and be able to use these carbon credits to manipulate the consumption of energy, the market itself, and, um, and manipulate free enterprise. They've got that in place now. And Joe Biden signed that document. And now the 2,000 miles of pipeline seeks to run through the richest farmland in the world. And these people that own this land, five, six, seven generations of them, they're not just gonna say, build that crazy pipeline through my land. And what they're saying instead is, I don't, I just had it yesterday. I had a, a couple that came to the meeting that I did and they received a call from the from the pipeline company that wanted to read to make another offer for the easement to go through their land. They told them, I don't care if you've got a million dollars. I'm not listening to you. Stop calling me. This is our land. And we're not going to put a pipeline through the middle of it. We have hundreds of property owners of that same attitude. And yet the state legislature has more or less slow walked two two seasons here and with by design because the legislative leadership and the governor in this state 
are all tied in really tight with the people at the top level of the investments here. And, and I mean, I, I know these people way back. I've, you know, I've done I've done good things with them, and I've also done battle with them over at least 20 years for the people that are here in this state that are essentially allowing this to happen. They have set up a three-person utilities board, which actually was set up back about 1975. They've granted them the authority to grant eminent domain to a private sector company. And so I'll just take us to the to the Constitution, and I'll pause for your comments, Jeff. But um, the, the, the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution says, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. And that, was, that stood for 200 plus years until 2005, when the city of New London, Connecticut moved in and condemned the property of Suzette Kilo and her neighbors and handed it over to a developer who had an agreement to build a pharmaceutical plant for Pfizer. Well, Suzette Kilo fought that all the way to the Supreme Court and by a 5-4 erroneous decision of the Supreme Court then, a more liberal court than we have today, they gave the city of New London the authority. To, to condemn property and hand it over to a private investor. Never before in this country was that ever allowed for private property going for public use, roads, bridges, parks, perhaps. That was all, that's all fine. We don't object to that. But when the winners and losers are chosen by a three-person board here, and so they believe they can trample over these property rights. They're threatening condemnation to get people to sign the easements. And I'm saying, I know what the Constitution says, and I also looked Justice Scalia in the eye in 2005, and he said to me, this is an erroneous decision. It will be reversed one day. And uh, I spoke on the floor in a resolution of disapproval that Tom DeLay and I put together. So this goes deep within me to defend the Constitution on property rights. Here I am surrounded by the people that are going to, trying to trample all over the top of us, and they think that a two-to-one vote on the utilities board is all that's required for them to run over the top of all of us. And we will fight them every step of the way. The last step will be at the Supreme Court. I hope we don't have to go that far, but if we do, we're going to push hard for the reversal of Kilo. And if that happens, Jeff, I'm going to go find Justice Scalia's grave. I'm going to kneel at that grave, and I'm going to say a prayer. Because he laid this out for me, and he laid it out for all of us. And to complete that mission for Justice Scalia would be a glorious achievement indeed. Indeed. I will tell you uh, that I believe Scalia was murdered. I say that all the time. In fact, I use the term scalia just like Esther Salas was Salas, where her husband and son were shot because she was taking the, the um, Epstein case. But like the Dutch farmers have organized and dumped their fertilizer and brought their tractors, uh, are the farmers in the tri-states there or even the five states getting organized uh, because they're going to have to do that uh, for resistance? Otherwise, well, um, otherwise, you're also going to see the... The land, what I think also is happening in Ohio was, I think those were sabotaged. I've shown videos of how Antifa trained to uh, just uh, sabotage rail tracks uh, so that the land could be condemned. So then it could be seized as well. Um, the, the farmers here are just getting organized. They, uh, for especially, I've, I've done um, several Zoom calls with them and lots of individual conversations. Um, you make friends out of doing that too. And uh, I noticed that a good number of them showed up in the, I drove uh, three hours east to do a meeting yesterday and uh, the room was full. I mean, really full. And in that were a good group of landowners that are ready to stand up and, and put up a fight. We also had county supervisors there that are key to this. Um, they also are ones that have to sign off on easements to cross their roads and things. And I'm doing a Zoom tonight to talk to the county supervisors. And I'm going to recommend to them just refuse to sign the easement. Um, let them sue you, and then you can counter sue. And in discovery, we're going to find out lots of things that are very valuable. But um, they aren't as well organized as they need to be. And I'm asking them, um, just in each of your counties, get the list of all the people along the property line, the, the property rights, the, the people that own the land, get the list and organize them. And those that haven't signed up, tell them, do not sign up. We're going to pitch a fight here and we're going to get this thing killed and we're going to do it to restore the Constitution at the same time. And the other side, I will say, is they're not going to lose their nerve. They're into this thing by, I don't know, two or three billion dollars by now. And their argument is, 
well, you can't change the rules on us now. And it's because after all, we've got all this money up front. We've some of it paid a hundred percent of the easement up front, not knowing that they're gonna end up being able to condemn the property that's refused by the people that don't want to be part of this. So we need to get a lot more organization going on with the property rights people and more organization going on with the county supervisors. That's happening. We think we've got two, maybe three months uh, to get all of our ducks in a row and then um, and then be ready to really pitch the battle. Two or three months. Well, so uh, uh, my Team America Iowa leader, who you are already working with and coordinate, will help coordinate that behind the scenes. Uh, you know, you're 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 the front face of that, but they'll he, they will help do that uh, because I think we Americans uh, have an easy, fat, soft life. They don't know what the rest of the world's like. It 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 saddens me uh, that. Um, you know, Dutch farmers are uh, more organized than us, um, but we will work on that. I want to ask you, uh, uh, I think you've laid out WEF really well, but uh, the Chinese are coming in to take a lot of the land because they can't feed their own people. Uh, they're coming in with the porch. They're bringing in um, uh, fentanyl that are that they're now working with the drug cartels. I was a DEA special agent uh, for 19 years, worked on all of that. But it seems to me uh, that they are in conflict because China wants to uh, remain a nation state and the global cabal wants to go past nation states just for the Pfizer corporate cartel. So it looks to me like they are going to what I would call screw taping uh, each other um, in the referencing C.S. Lewis uh, there. But I'm curious if you see it that way, because it's not. All these enemies are not aligned. They they will fight each other as well. And I think that's to our advantage. But I'd like your input on that. Well, I think your perspective is broad and deep, Jeff. And uh, uh, with, far with, with uh, Chinese coming in here to buy, buy land and buying up businesses also, but buying farmland. In Iowa, we passed a law that bans foreign purchases of farmland. And it was in 1980. And I've uh, actually done work up here just a couple of miles from me. There's an entire section of land that belongs to a German named Von Twickel. Um, he bought that land before 1980 and was grandfathered in. So I've, I've received checks from him and done those things. And it's not a problem here for that single section of one operator. But it becomes a great big problem when the Chinese have come in here and gone right out and stolen our seed corn uh, to use it as to, to use it to examine the genetics of it. As we caught them with their pockets full of seed corn trying to fly out of fly out of the country. And uh, wow. so but here that doesn't mean though that here in Iowa they aren't buying this land. In fact, um, I've got some people that they came to me. They've been drilling into this. They're the two counties that they represent that they're in. They, they noticed that chunks of land were being bought up with over the market price, maybe 1,500 acres here, 1,700 acres there. They, they're just several pages of spreadsheets of tracking this property. And there were, I'd say, 12, 15, maybe more LLCs, limited liability corporations, that the same individual had signed the mortgages on. And but that individual lives in Virginia and uh, has an American name. I didn't get any further behind that than that. But I did do this say, I want to know who the shareholders are in the LLCs. And they're not they're not public. And they have to file the LLC with the Secretary of State's office, but they just check the boxes along the way. They don't look into that. So I had a meeting with our, our attorney general in January and presented this evidence and said, we've got to drill in. We've got to identify all the shareholders and look at the entire business model of what's happening with LLCs in Iowa. And that would, by the way, translate into the other states across the country. But the other states don't have the same kind of prohibitions that we have. So... I'm trying to get them to investigate it. It's complex and they're busy, but I'm going to stay with it. We cannot let the Chinese come in and buy us up. Um, they are in their influence. Um, the border, as you mentioned, the fentanyl coming across the border. But I had a meeting just yesterday and um, listened to a fellow that had been down traveling the border, touring the border, high level uh, looks into what's going on. And um, he, he said they they stood and watched the Chinese illegal immigrants march up to present themselves in the United States. And he gave the numbers where nearly a year ago, the annual total was something like 400 Chinese. That's so far this year. And I think he was talking this calendar year for over 4,000 Chinese. And he said every one of them was male. 
and every one of them looked like they were 25 years old. So uh, is this a fifth column that's coming into the United States? I think so. And that fifth column can align themselves with the Mexican drug cartels they already have. So the transfer of wealth out of America into Mexico and China is is awful. And we sit here on our hands. And I, I go back to, um, I guess I was in I was in the state Senate in the, back in the 90s. I was frustrated. It goes even further than that. If I, indulge me just a moment. I'll try to bring this forward and historically. But um, when they had the Amnesty Act in 1986, I revered Ronald Reagan, but when um, he only let me down twice, and, but it's, it's, both of them were pretty huge. This was the biggest one. In 1986, I was watching the debate in the House and the Senate on the Amnesty Act, and as it came through and it went to President Reagan's desk, I wasn't even worried. I knew this man of principle would veto that bill and they wouldn't have the votes to override his veto and they wouldn't be rewarding people for breaking our immigration laws and coming into America. And my instincts, I was a young guy then just uh, trying to raise a family and run a business, but I knew that if you reward people for breaking the law, not only do you get more lawbreakers, but you are sacrificing the rule of law. And that is an essential pillar of American exceptionalism, this rule of law. So I was just absolutely adamant against amnesty for illegal aliens. Reagan signed that bill. I was listening to him on the radio in my construction office. And when they said that he'd signed it, I turned around and kicked my my filing cabinet. And it was a, one of those El Chipo, uh, use a little Spanish on you, uh, El Chipo um, metal filing cabinet. And I kicked a dent in the bottom of that filing cabinet. And uh, so for all the rest of the years we used that, you had to bend over and give it a big jerk to get it out. But that was the beginning of what went south on us with immigration. And thereafter, each president enforced immigration law less and less. And by the middle 90s, Bill Clinton was letting too many people in. He sent uh, Al Gore out to California and their, for their reelect in um, to 1996 to um, to to accelerate the nat naturalization of a million that had come into California so that he, have, he could win California in the election. Even sounds ridiculous today, but we're at a number of 20, 30, 40 million illegal aliens in America. And uh, the, this acceleration under Biden just threatens to destroy any meaning of border. And they've destroyed already just about any meaning of immigration law. And whatever's going on with this, it is impeachable for Biden to be doing this. In fact, I will just say this, that you look up the definition of treason. If this is willful, what Biden is doing, it, it qualifies under that definition. Well, six, I think I was running around Honduras in the Las Vegas salient working with the Contras, uh, and we infiltrated Contras back legally, not Ali North, illegal. Ali North is not a hero in my book. He he built the Clinton cartel of draft with the with the CIA and the uh, and the Contras and the cash. Uh, but uh, we infiltrated Contras unarmed, just like the military age fighting men that are now coming across the border. You know, Gallus, where I used to work, my friend uh, Michael Young, also a special forces veteran, now the Ernie pilot of this generation, saying that there are 30 buses coming across the Darien out of the Darien Gap in Panama, which I worked uh, as well. And so, yeah, it looks like. Uh, very clear infiltration uh, at this point, and then it will, from my point of view, uh, the covert kinetic warfare is they're not in uniform, but all of the violence you see in the cities that is occurring is not random. It is methodical, uh, just like the, the lady at Trump, Trump Tower with the rifle. That was another message, just like Bragg got a message uh, with the uh, powder is indict or else of the failed indictments. But I want to uh, jump back here a little bit. You're talking about the best soil in the world. That makes me think about the black soil of Ukraine uh, and how okay. Poland is fighting for the western part of Ukraine, uh, Monsanto, uh, and the other uh, pharmacological giants, just like Pfizer, bringing about eminent domain as a cartel, as a legal cartel uh, is happening and how that ties into I see a I see a comparison, a parallel, just like with Old Testament with New Testament, how Yeshua fulfills the Torah and says, I didn't come to abolish it, I came to fulfill it. Uh, but I see there's a parallel here with what you're working, with what's happening uh, on the fifth generation um, bio lab for America, which is Ukraine, which is the, there are real people dying, but it's all about um, 
Ukrainian Nazis and 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 uh, 46 bio labs and hundreds of pharma pharma uh, big pharma labs. So, where where is your uh, viewpoint and your insight on that? I don't know if it's as finely tuned as it is um, yours uh, or a good number of others, but I have been to Ukraine and I have met with their leadership. It goes back to about 2014 during that cycle of time, which is fairly intense as well. Um, I am aware that there are bio labs that they have set up and we've used the country of Ukraine to do that research and that, um, and I'm going to say Fauci is, is hands in all of that too. Um, I would just dial this thing back to the back to Davos and the WEF and the WHO and that they are the master plan that they have to manipulate all of us. And when they have they've done um, they've been able to go out and just say publicly, we're going to manipulate and manage every one of you. They are atheists. They don't believe in individual freedom. They believe that they can manage all of us and we will be there digitally. They will turn us into serfs. And then they are globalists. George Soros is a natural-born globalist. His father was a globalist. His father promoted Esperanto to become the universal global language, and uh, they've dropped that by now. But Soros, George Soros, comes by that part honestly. And uh, then, so when we think of the terms of globalism, how do you get there? Well, you've got to erase the U.S. borders. Um, I sat down with a table full of Western European billionaire vulture capitalists, I'm going to call them, and um, they be, they just they just persistently talked about how the different regulations we have, different taxes regulations, uh, are a barrier to them doing business and making money. And out of that, they want they want to be able they can now transfer capital around the world with a click of the mouse. You don't have to put gold on Wells Fargo anymore. Um, and materials and the logistics move more quickly than ever before. They want labor to move as fast as you can move people around the globe. And then, so when I, that's, that is when you start moving people around the globe, you're also erasing borders. Um, people have seen the videos of the millions who walked out of the Middle East, clear as far as Bangladesh and Pakistan, all the way into and walked into Europe. And if just those images bring them to mind, it'd be like a gravel road that's right outside my house here, 28 foot top on that, that's about what they had in the roads they were walking on in Europe. And the shoulder to shoulder is 28 foot and they were marching shoulder to shoulder, horizon to horizon, pouring into Europe. And almost all of them, military age young men going in. And they were they were called in there, sent in there by messages and influence that comes out of George Soros and also by Erdogan in Turkey and, and by others. So I went over there and walked with them, Jeff, because I couldn't uh, I, I couldn't quite understand what would cause. Oops, we lost you. Let me die. Go okay. Um, then, then uh, there you are. Got you okay. back. Okay, good. Um, but I, I had to understand what made them move and try to understand them. Well, Angela Merkel is part of this, and I'll give you the summary answer. I'd say I would say, where are you from? Where are you going? And uh, they would never tell me where they were from, so I stopped asking that. Where are you going? Most always Germany. Where in Germany? I don't know. Well, um, do you have friends there? No. Do you have family there? No. What will you do there? Well, I'm going to live there. How will you live? Germany will take care of me. That was, and Merkel sent that message out. So uh, the basic equation here is, and it's an axiom, whenever you bring someone in from another culture, it doesn't have to be a country, but another culture, you are importing their culture as well. And, and when you do that, that person can be assimilated into the broader culture. Uh, the more that they are committed and the more that culture is committed, the more effectively they're assimilated. We did that grandly uh, for over 100 years, or maybe 150 or more years. But we've given up on assimilation now. But the more people that come in from an individual culture, the less likely they are to assimilate. You end up with ethnic enclaves. And now we have a nation that is balkanized much like the Balkans have been balkanized, it's it's not just race, it's not on class so much, although that's part of it. But it's race, it's ethnicity, it's national origin, and um, even watching the girls' basketball uh, national championship game turned into a race contest. That's because it's poisoned the minds of people here. So for us to get back to the America that we were all proud of and all believe we were part of, and all trying to pull in the same direction, that's going to be a very very difficult task. 
but they want to break us all down. They want the borders to be gone. Um, they, they want to have one world government. That means one party government here in the United States, steal all the elections so that there's never a legitimate election again in this country and rule by power and ruled by influence, ruled by misinformation through the social media. I mean, I guess I could go on with this, but the components, the tools that they have already deployed, I should sit down and write a list of them. It's quite long. They've been working at this a long time. They've got the assets, they've got the resources, and we aren't quite smart enough to figure out that what's happening to us. By the way, I was saying to people that are watching on this pipeline in Iowa, if you are part of this, if you're signing the easement, if you're investing, if you're promoting this, then what you're actually doing is is helping Larry Fink, George Soros, Klaus Schwab, Bruce Rastetter put another piece in the jigsaw puzzle for one world government. That's a, that's a piece of the jigsaw puzzle here for one world government. That's what's going on here in this state. And I want people to realize it and put the brakes on it. Well, that, that very. I love that and uh, brilliant that they want to balkanize us. So where there's constant interfighting all the time, just like there's a constant war, uh, uh, destroy Af the Afghanistan win through special forces early on within weeks uh, and then go into Ukraine. But I want to come back to your uh, German uh, landholder uh, who has been there because Germany right now uh, wants Russian oil. That's why I believe, I, as an intelligence officer, I assess with 100% high confidence uh, that the Biden uh, CIA uh, JSOC blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. I think there's plenty of uh, intelligence analysis to prove that. Germany um, is against all of this as well. And so I think that Germany sides with Russia. Russia China is siding with Russia simply because the Ukrainians are losing, the Ukrainian Nazis uh, are losing. But also about the French, there's French um, Antifa right now burning BlackRock buildings. And so again, they are um, screw taping each other, fighting each other. Um, and uh, what's your assessment of that? Because I, I see this as, an, uh, as a, um, all the, just like COVID, was clearly the fur and cleavage shows that it was man-made. The uh, mm -hmm. Chinese have their 20-year unrestricted warfare plan to through thousand talents to wage war every which way except directly kinetically because the, the, the world has never seen the like of the American warrior and nobody can beat us head on. Um, and they learned that uh, lesson. But uh, all of this looks uh, uh, to be a flanking maneuver uh, but they are divided. AI is not this intelligent. It's a scam. Uh, all of it, just like the Cormenati for the military was a scam, just like the, the jab was a scam, the boosters are a scam. All of their solutions are hollow and they will fail. Just like I work in competitive biotech intelligence right now. I can tell you that all the big companies are failing because they bought into all this uh, mRNA crap that doesn't work, that causes uh, a billion VAERS uh, accidents. So this this too will fall, but do you see uh, gaps in there with the French Antifas coming after BlackRock, uh, with the Germans uh, wanting Russian oil, uh, and that we can align with that? Or is that, am I too far out there for you? Well, I, I don't know. Um, I'm encouraged. I didn't know that they were the French were going after BlackRock buildings and demonstrate on that. I hadn't picked that up. Um, and so that's encouraging to me to, to see that there's a, uh, I'll say, a knowledge base within France, at least, and that must spread across Western Europe about the influence, the negative influence that BlackRock is bringing back on them. Um, as far as Germany wanting Russian oil, sure. Um, Russian gas, too. And uh, I recall um, I made a whole series of trips into Germany. And some of these things I just summarize in a general discussion. But at the time I was having this particular conversation, remember what year it would be, probably in the previous decade, I'm sure it would be that, um, that, that uh, I'm warning them that we're just talking about uh, building the, the Nord Stream 2. And I said, do not do that. Do not open yourselves up to dependency upon Russian gas or Russian oil. And uh, they 
sat there. These were legislators, members of the Bundestag. And uh, and they would just kind of like pull their arms and go, well, we're really we're not dependent on the Russian oil or Russian gas. We only get 34 percent of our gas from them. And this won't add that much of it. It'll a few more percentage, which probably is about in the 20 or 30 percent more. But we aren't we aren't influenced by that at all. And I, are you kidding me? We're influenced by Saudi Arabia for their for what they do to contribute to our energy. It was it was ridiculous for them to even try to tell me that. But I wondered, did they believe it? I don't think they believe it anymore. Um, but what we've seen across Europe, and I don't know if this is exactly an answer to your question, Jeff, but what we've seen across Europe when this began coming at us, when the when the migrants were pouring into Europe and it was being broken down in that fashion, as I've described, it launched political parties within each one of those countries in Eastern and Western Europe. And I I met with almost all of the leaders. I traveled through those countries and, and met with them, searched them out. They were glad to have meetings, by the way, because I wanted to link them together. But in Germany, it's an alternative for Deutschland is their, their free party. And uh, you've got Marine Le Pen in France, who's closer to Putin than I would like, but she's a voice for the French people. And I began calling them patriotic. Let's see, I called them nationalist parties. And they said, well, we don't like that because that word national is too close to national socialist uh national socialism and uh so so not, you're the patriot not. <laughs> the german workers party yeah <laughs> and uh so i began calling them patriotic parties they like that a lot better but the patriotic parties have been strong throughout europe and that's pushback on these things this pushback that's triggering some of these things probably against blackrock i don't want to blame the parties they wouldn't ad advocate for that but it's that emotion that's there and i've been to to Finland and Sweden and and uh, Norway across there and met with their conservative leaders there. I've been, I think, to every country in Western Europe to do that and then met with their leaders there. Been to the European Union and met with the, the conservative patriotic party members that are elected to the European Union as well. They're there. And um, we have uh, Maloney, who was elected as prime minister of Italy. And and uh, she's the strongest, most conservative leader they've had in a long, long time. That needs to be organized and pulled together, pulled together politically and culturally, and then turn that into economics as well. That kind of pushback can say, uh, I'll, I'll just cut it to the chase is this. I'm on a think tank, a couple of them. I sent this message out to them a week ago, Wednesday. And it's this, if we are going to restore our civilization, if the American, we, we are the flagship for Western civilization today, and if we're going to restore it, if we're going to defend it, if we're going to hold it together, we must take down the World Economic Forum. That would be the key that opened the door for Western civilization to reemerge and wash over the world. And by the way, that's our calling. Well, I, that's brilliant as well. And I'm not going to ask you for an answer on this, but I do want to tell you while we're talking that I have had on Pascal Najadi, uh, who brought criminal charges against the Swiss uh, president uh, and has brought civil charges in the New York Superior Court uh, uh, as well against uh, the, pharma, the um, big pharma corporations. And I'm actually working, uh, I also have besides Team America, Team Global Freedom, and behind the scenes I'm working besides with Pascal uh, with some Swiss and some German uh, and French folks that are trying to form an alliance. And it sounds like uh, you might want to, and you don't have to answer this, but it's something you might want to uh, be involved with because I think that American farmers are not as organized uh, because they're just not aware. You know, World War II is a ghost that haunts Europe, uh, especially Russia leaving, losing, which what I I say is 45 million. Some people put it higher than that. Uh, the, the fake numbers are 25 or whatever, but it's, I think it's about 45 million. Um, and I don't think that um, American farmers have really come to grips because we had German POWs walking around Arizona while our guys were dying and uh, Jews and other minority groups in the Holocaust camps were being killed. We don't really, World War II is kind of a happy war for us but not for Europe, Nazis. Uh, and everybody can unify against that. And there are Nazis in Ukraine. And so uh, I'll just put that out there that they, they have reached out to me because Pascal has this criminal complaint against the president. Uh, 
in Switzerland and as the civil complaint in New York that is that is moving forward as well. So to me, that looks like another rallying point. But you don't have to answer on that. But I'll just I'll just well, well, let you. If you're interested I, in in talking to them, I can I can uh, work on that as well. What I'd appreciate. But do you agree? I, I, I generally agree with what I heard you say, and uh, I'd appreciate it if you could send me at least one link on that, and I've got to read up on it because that's the case that I'm not closely enough familiar with to comment on. Um, but I would say also um, with regard to your comments about it was a happy war in the United States, but the ghost of it exists all over Europe. And um, I, I think anybody that's been to uh, in, in Auschwitz and Birkenau or any of the other any other sites and that is a uh, I mean I've run into a few Holocaust deniers I've stood on that ground in both those places Auschwitz and Birkenau and and where the train ends right there at the observation building at Birkenau and I have a I have a tape that's it happens to be nine minutes long of uh, Eddie Mossberg, who survived multiple death camps, and Auschwitz was one of them. He stood there and told me the story. What he, he was looking off in the distance. It was haunting. Now, he's since passed away. God bless him. But when you walk through that, you know how evil that is. Uh, and the evilness that can grow within a civilization, the Germans seem to be good people on this turn of the century. A lot of them came over here to the United States. A lot of them are my neighbors. One of them was my grandmother. Um, but Something happened inside that. They demonized and dehumanized people and churned that all up. By the way, another thing that happened was the communists were growing in Germany at the time Hitler took power. And Nazism grew up as an opposition to communism. And one or the other was going to win in there. And neither one was a very happy result. Um, and I don't know about those numbers in Russia. I'd say at least 25 million. I don't know if the additional ones are counted, the ones that Stalin killed. But here's another thing that came into my ear just the other day. I know from I, I've, I've read deeply into the Stalingrad, uh, the Battle of Stalingrad from both sides. And uh, I know that the Russians marched their people into the line of fire of the Nazis. If they turned and ran, they had people to shoot them. That's going on in Ukraine today. Uh, the Wagner Group, as they're being sent into fire, and the people on our side say, gee, uh, look at all the courage they have. Well, they'd rather be shot in the front than in the back. Um, that's kind of what's going on there. So there's a lot of evil around there. Uh, there's an old history that's, that's just so utterly painful to them. And it's another thing is that the Europeans have been convinced that nationalism is the cause of the wars. And so the European Union has been trying to scrub out the borders and it discouraged them from flying their national flags, fly the European Union flag instead. They created the European Union to provide a, quote, counterbalance to the United States, close quote. And uh, I look at that and I and I think, and they've been, by the way, they wanted to set up a military too. I haven't heard much about that in the last couple of years. So this whole this whole effort um, that is merging within, within Europe, Eastern and Western Europe with the patriotic parties, that can emerge to be a powerful force for Western civilization. And it could emerge to be the force that would finally uh, join together, of course, with us, and all of Oceania, Australia, New Zealand, and all the Western Hemisphere all together and finally take down the World Economic Forum and restore our civilization. Well, I think that's all, that's right. I will say that I think uh, Russia is an ally against uh, the, the, Ukraine I think is a global cabal uh, front war, but that, you know, that's my point of view uh, on that, you're absolutely right, though, about the communist. Um, not, you know, we don't. In the, well, what the military I served in, we certainly led from the front. But yeah, the the uh, the Soviets uh, had uh, guns and firing at their troops. There's that famous movie where they, when the guy with the rifle falls, pick up the rifle. Here's the guy with the ammunition. Uh, it was just um, uh, fodder. Uh, that was uh, terrible. I certainly agree. Uh, with that um, as well. Uh, as we wrap here, is there anything, any message you want to get out to uh, the farmers of the states to organize? Because I, again, I don't see the commitment and organization that Europe has brought to this because it seems to me that Europe sees this because they remember the ghosts so much more than we do. And again, Russia was our ally in World War II. I, as an as a army paratrooper, I have to admit 
that Russian soldiers also liberated Holocaust camps alongside, not yep. with, but you know, it's American soldiers and Russian soldiers. I got to give them, give them that. Um, even though I like to say that's that's my lineage. Uh, but is there any, as we wrap up here, is there any um, uh, message or groups that you want to uh, focus on uh, for organizing? Because I don't think farmers, American farmers are organized enough. Uh, yes, I would say bringing this back to this CO2 pipeline, it is the hugest boondoggle I have ever seen, I've ever heard of. And the powers that put this together are, it's huge money power, it's huge political power. They have, they're an example of what has developed in this, in the world now of uh, public-private partnerships. We used to have a different idea about that. If somebody donated some money to the town and the town put some of their, their money in that and build a park, that was a public-private partnership. Today, it is global businesses using their money and influence to purchase politicians at every level of government so that they can get what they want and massage their business model. That's a public-private partnership. Um, but the, the, the part that's different is the public part, the government part, used to dominate over the private part because they had the power. But the power now is in the purses of the private sector, of the globalist companies in particular. They're bringing the power of that purse in and what they would call a public-private partnership to build this 2,000-mile boondoggle pipeline, trample over the property rights to no measurable result of any kind except they will rake in billions of dollars a year in their minds, at least in perpetuity. Um, and it's, a, it's an awful thing to put Americans further into debt by borrowing money from the red Chinese to fund our national debt so we can pay carbon credits to bury CO2 and trample over our constitutional rights at the same time. Everything is wrong with this, everything. And I say it this way is that every time I turned this Rubik's cube around and looked at it another way, it looked worse and worse, not better and better. And so I would call upon the people that especially that have land in the way of this pipeline that have not yet signed an easement, do not sign an easement. Line up with your neighbors, identify everybody in your neighborhood, everybody in your county, and get that list together for the whole state of those who hold that land and believe in the sanctity of your property rights, and we will be organized. County supervisors, same thing. In fact, there's a meeting going on tomorrow, I believe it's three o'clock in the afternoon in Woodbury County. It's going to be Plymouth, Woodbury, and Monona counties, the supervisors meeting together to discuss what they can do to block this pipeline. I'm not sure of the exact location, but that'll be out there on somebody's website. And hopefully I get free and can be at that meeting tomorrow. Organize everywhere you can, and you can contribute um, some resources to us too. Um, there's a website called a Stop, a Stop CO2 Pipeline Scam. Dot com. That's real close anyway. I don't have it completely completely memorized, but we've been raising some money and running radio ads, and um, we're, that's still going on as we speak. But hopefully, if I can get you that link, you could put it up on on your site too, Jeff. And but that's that's what people can do and get energized, get mobilized. And I'm in this thing. I, my uh, people might think that as energized as I am, that somehow there's some some resources coming into me. Uh, not on this, but I've been offered um, offered a paycheck to do some things like radio interviews or whatever. And, and I said, no, I don't I don't want to take any money from anybody. I'm not for sale. I want to follow my head and my heart. I've done the other part when I got a paycheck for being a member of Congress. Very well said. Yeah, I'll find that site and I'll put that up. And, uh, you know, since you are such a man of faith, I just thought of this story. I was at a, you know, I'm a chaplain. I have a chaplaincy. I was at a messianic uh, synagogue one time. And they were showing a film of a Holocaust survivor, and he was confronting one of the um, SS guards, and he fell down off of, off of the, uh, the, the jury um, chair. And later on, they interviewed him and said, oh, were you, were you remembering how bad things were he goes, when you saw that guy? He's like, no, no, I saw so much horror that I got used to it. But I, when he was sitting there in a suit and tie like me, I realized that he was just like me. And the only difference between me and him was my faith. That was it. And when I realized that, I fell down. And so I think that's something we both should emphasize too, especially at this Passover time, is the people who don't have faith are not going to make it. You're just not going to make it through this. It's going to get bad. But uh, I just thought you'd appreciate that. Um, well, I, I, I sure do. 
I would just say I would add I would add to that. I, I just I appreciate it, and it's it's worthy of contemplation and meditation also. And I will. Um, what comes to mind as I'm listening is I'd say to people is that do that which is righteous without regard to the consequences. Amen. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's uh, been an honor, and uh, we will continue to pray and support you. And Team America Iowa will continue to work with you and organize. Uh, and I will send you those links, and I'll find that um, stopco2scam.com as well. And uh, have a uh, blessed Resurrection Day and also, uh, of course, uh, Passover. Yes, indeed. I thank you so very much. I look forward to another time coming on. And any topic you want to take up, Jeff, God's blessings. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay, so that is um, the uh, former congressman and a real fighter, and that was really uh, interesting for me. As again, I don't have politicians on the show. I'm not interested. You'll rarely see me have anybody on that is like a star or even a general or anything. Very few exceptions uh, in that regard, but I regard uh, him as a patriot, a man of faith, and a statesman. And again, he was brought to me by my Team America Iowa leader saying, hey, you, you should have this on. We want to get this out there. And that's an example of how what Team America can do uh, by teaming up and working out, working together and force multiplying. And right there, it looks like Team America is going to tie into uh, Team Global Freedom. So that's really uh, cool. So um, remember, a secret told isn't. No communications are secure. All security is breachable. All codes are hackable. Concealment is not cover. All cover is temporary. Use a one-time pad one time. Looking is not seeing. Hearing is not listening. Moving is not action. Knowledge is not wisdom. Perseverance beats trust. Power is not force. Hope is not a plan. Plans are useless. Planning is invaluable. Develop the situation before it develops you. Training is essential. The most committed wins. The most committed has a transcendent value system. American exceptionalism is based upon Judeo-Christian native values. Freedom is never given. It is earned. One fought for and taken. So take it.